0: Welcome to the Aesthetic Entrepreneurs GSD, the number one podcast for aesthetic and beauty business owners who want to get stuff done and become the entrepreneurs the world needs them to be. Many of you out there are uncertain, overwhelmed, and confused about this thing called business. Where there's uncertainty, we give you comfort. Where there's overwhelm, we create calm. Where there's confusion, we provide clarity. It's a great pleasure to introduce Dan Priestley to our GSD podcast.
1: Welcome, Dan. Thank you very much for having me on your podcast.
0: No, absolute pleasure, absolute pleasure. Um, and um, see, we've. You know, known each other for, for a couple of years, but me be working with you on the, the KPI program and um, with the, the dent business, which has been fantastic. Um, you know, it's not a, uh, an overstatement to say that it's completely and utterly changed the way that I do business. And as a result has changed my life. So it's great to oh, have you here. Wonderful. Um, lovely and, to hear. Um, no, it's absolutely true. mate. It's been um, from a business point of view, it gave me a lot of focus, a lot of direction uh, at times when I've kind of really needed it. And I think you have a very unique insight to things, which um, is why I'm so chuffed that you're on this podcast, because it's a great uh, opportunity for our listeners who might not be familiar with you to uh, to hear what you say and, and the way you say it. So cheers, mate. Appreciate it. Brilliant. Okay, so, but as I said, they might not know who you are, and I'm a big fan of people introducing themselves, so Dan, please take it away. Tell us about yourself.
1: Yeah, so my background is as an entrepreneur in Australia. I grew a company uh, in Australia up to about 11 million in sales. Uh, I exited, came to the UK, uh, and I launched a business accelerator, and that business accelerator has now worked with over 3,000 companies globally. Uh, We've got some of the world's most successful and celebrated entrepreneurs as our mentoring team. Uh, We now have offices in Sydney, Toronto and London. Uh, And uh, along the way, over the last 10 years, I wrote four best-selling books on entrepreneurship, uh, focused at essentially starting an idea and then scaling it right up and making a big impact.
0: The the books are brilliant. And... um... And obviously you've um, written three of them, so Key Person of Influence, actually no, four isn't it, Entrepreneur's Revolution, Yeah, Entrepreneur
1: Entrepreneur. Revolution, uh, and then Key Person of Influence, Oversubscribed, and 24 Assets.
0: And and is it fair to say that the books have sort of charted the journey that you've been on as a sort of an entrepreneur and and a business owner?
1: Yeah, very much so. So entrepreneur revolution is the entrepreneur mindset, getting started, thinking about planning out that first few years in business, those, you know, that first uh, couple hundred grand worth of revenue and how to achieve that. Um, key personal influence is sort of establishing yourself as a brand in your industry, building a team, um, standing out in a noisy marketplace. Oversubscribed is running campaigns and promotions in order to take yourself out to a broader market. Uh, and twenty four assets is about scale. It's about digital transformation, making everything in the business digital, and uh, and reaching people all over the world. So it's kind of um, follows those you know those key markers uh, as you progress through the entrepreneur journey. It's a bit like a Harry Potter of entrepreneurship. <laughs> I
0: really like that actually, the Harry Potter of entrepreneurship. And it, it's um, I mean it's interesting because obviously you know I've been involved in. In the in your um, especially courses and I read the books as well. And it, the the first part of it, the the wilderness as you call it, it's incredibly it's it's whole startup, isn't it? It's draining. It's it's lots and lots of work. You're the highest, you know, hardest working, most hours, least amount of money person. And then all of a sudden, you you pop through the other side into the different stages. And one of the things that I really <clears throat> learned from you is around this whole. Um, philosophy of being a key person of influence in the in your business and how that transforms you uh, in your marketplace.
1: Yeah, so the truth is, is that in every industry there's a lot of people selling the same things and there are a few people who become the key people of influence, the go-to people for those things. It's the first name that comes up when you think about an industry um, and ideally you want to become one of those people. You want to become a go-to person uh, you want to differentiate through your personal brand. Uh, so, you know, especially in the industry that you work a lot with, there's a lot of people who kind of, they have essentially the same product. So the big differentiator can be, or one of the differentiators can be personal brand.
0: Absolutely. And I think it's you actually nailed it is differentiation in this sector is quite difficult because they say they all have the same, effectively the same offering. And I think they, they, there's a lot of... Um, positioning as service providers rather than providers of experience and transformations, which is where being a KPI kind of fits in. And that actually was the reason why I I wrote the, I wrote the book because in the KPI program, you talk one of the key points is around publishing and writing a book, um, which I did yeah. look changing faces and it has been absolutely transformational. It's you said um, the book that changes your life is the one that you write and you were absolutely spot on.
1: Yeah, well, it's a, it's this perfect kind of salesperson. The, a book is like a mini business development manager or a mini business salesperson who runs around telling your perfect story, uh, over and over again, uh, never getting sick, never taking a day off, traveling for, you know, two pounds anywhere in, <laughs> anywhere in Europe, mm. uh, and uh, going on holidays with people. So it's this perfect business development tool, um, and you know one of the things I kind of discovered pretty early on is that if you hire a business development manager, you might pay forty thousand pounds a year, and actually you can kind of print up several thousands of uh, books for a few grand, and and just put them in the hands of the people that you you want to tell your story to, and it has the same effect. Um, so it's you know a book is a, a book is just a great. A great way of sharing your thoughts and clarifying your thoughts and getting other people on the same page that you are.
0: Yeah, it's, it's been wonderful. I, I really recommend someone, anybody listening, to to actually get there and do it. And it's it's funny that you say about the book going on holiday. It gives me a real thrill. And if you get this as well, when people tag you into the Instagram stories and there's the book. On, oh, I wish on the beach. I wish
1: my book could go wherever. I wish I I'd been to as many places as my books have been. Um my books tend to have much better holidays than I do. Oh,
0: okay. <laughs> I'm jealous. My book was in Fiji not too long ago. I was just
1: thinking, bloody hell, you
0: know.
1: <laughs> yeah yeah, exactly. My book was uh my book was off skiing all over the last couple of weeks, you know. So.
0: <laughs> so yeah, if you this is the thrill thrill that you get as being an author, it's fantastic. So so um as we we as we walk through you know the journey, um the the model that kind of underpins everything you do is the 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 ascending transaction model and um i just want to talk what what made you focus on that as being the kind of the core model for for dent and for kpi
1: yeah so i watch a lot of people coming up with ideas for their business and they launch ideas that are standalone ideas that kind of you know they launch in isolation and nothing really works in isolation so products and services make money when they're in an ecosystem and I witnessed this with you know working with some of the top entrepreneurs in the world that they create brilliant product ecosystems, and their goal is to create a brilliant product ecosystem. So I noticed that great companies often give away something for free, normally a digital download or a gift or something of value. It can't be pithy, it needs to be something really good for good for free. Uh, and then they often have a very low risk first step, which we call a product for prospects. Uh, they have a core business and then most great companies that are profitable also have what we call a product for clients. So it's a product that they kind of have after their core business. So think BMW selling cars, but then having finance and insurance and servicing as the product for clients. Um, you know, we'll think about Apple selling iPads and, and MacBooks and phones, but then having Things like uh, arcade and um, the iTunes subscription and uh, ongoing videos on demand and ongoing software through the App Store. So those all, you know, basically being their product clients. Yeah. Uh, so the idea here is that you want to have an ecosystem of products. I, I see people kind of think to themselves, "Ah, oh, you know, I'm, I'll write a book and I'll earn lots of royalties." And it's like mm, it doesn't work like that. You you write a book and you, you put hundreds or thousands of them out in the marketplace, and then your other products do well. The book doesn't make much money, but all the other products start making money because the book is out. So you have to have this ecosystem. So what I tried to do is kind of codify it and turn it into this thing called the ascending transaction model, where it's uh, gifts to product prospects through a data capture process. And then through a sales process, we get a core product. And then through a servicing process, we go to product for client. And when you link all of that together in one elegant ecosystem, you tend to get the maximum amount of profit out of your idea uh, that you can.
0: Absolutely. Brilliant. Great. Really um, succinct description of it. And I think a lot of people who are listening to this now who have been working with me have just gone. Ah, so that's where we got it from. Um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, but the thing is, it's, like you say, there are a lot of organizations. And I think I had um, Jason uh, Greystone uh, on a previous podcast episode with me. And we were talking about it as um, the most profitable business model in history.
1: <laughs> That's very good to know i'm uh, I'm glad that it's gotten everyone's thumbs up
0: absolutely yeah and um it's you know it it was um let's say transformational in in the business in you know the set of entrepreneurs because it enabled me to create the different stages so obviously the book and you're talking about the book not making any money, I take all of my royalties as copies of the book for the sole purpose of giving them away um and you know, people can download free chapters, et cetera, et cetera. So like you say, you know, get the book working for you, which leads you to a, an entry level product or service that then leads on to a core, which leads on to something different. So as long as you've got these steps, obviously the, the business is generating revenue at each point and you're giving less away for free without it being part of a
1: plan. Yeah, exactly. Yep, yeah, that's, that's it. And uh, you know, some people mistake this. They think it's a funnel, um, a funnel, A horrible word right a funnel is like squeezing people or funneling people somewhere they don't want to go um as opposed to and a funnel is often a communications journey it's drip feeding communication to people uh in stages Uh, An ascending transaction model is adding value every step of the way it's all about value add it's ascending it's ascending the value that people are receiving
0: yeah turn up every day add value
1: yeah yeah exactly
0: so this leads us on to your to your um, say I was going to say the latest book but it's not it's over oversubscribed, which is your your third book um, which sort of deals with um, uh, you know getting or print the principles for oversubscribing when and you wrote
1: that when did you do the original um, Kate, I wrote it in 2014 and it came out in
0: 2015 2015 so I've read it and recently you've you've now updated it
1: yeah, just today, actually, the, the revised edition has just come out, uh, and there's about 15,000 words of revisions and updates and edits, new stories, new examples, new principles. And the fundamentals are the same. It's the same idea that only oversubscribed businesses make profit and that uh, you have to sell to your own market and ignore the market and build your own market. Um, so it's those same key ideas, but just kind of updating how to execute that.
0: So what what changed that made you want to revisit it um, and put more update content into it?
1: Well, the big thing that changed was the U.S. presidential election in 2016. So U.S. presidential elections are very special events um, from a marketing perspective because they're the most high stakes, highly contested, aggressive campaigns and essentially, it's like the Formula One. They're all looking for a tiny little edge that will give them an advantage. So they're exploring different tools, technologies, techniques in order to do this. And throughout all of history, US presidential elections have actually introduced us to kind of the, the, the new technology that will um, the marketers latch on So uh, Franklin Roosevelt uh, was uh, the first president to do national radio fireside chats. Uh, and then all the radio budgets exploded and moved away from print advertising and went on to radio. Uh, JFK, uh, introduced us to television debates and television and, uh, and basically all the budgets moved across over to the TV. Um, Obama was a social media engagement president. He, he won his campaign through an elegantly uh executed social media marketing campaign and then the 10 years after that it was all about social media marketing so 2008 even that election by 2010 you know you can't go to a networking function without meeting someone calling themselves a social media marketer or a social media um you know specialist or something along those lines so you know he really moved people over to that social media uh you know marketing approach and then in 2016, something happened, which was that Trump came along and although all the noise was on Twitter, what actually won the campaign was, was his involvement with uh, Cambridge Analytica. And what Cambridge Analytica did for Trump is they harvested data. So they actually had 50 million people's data sets already on the database. They went and found ways to get more. Um, they ran that data through uh, scorecards and through um, quizzes and surveys. And uh, and they basically enriched the data, and then they figured out how to create specialized targeted campaigns for every single human being who was a voter, and especially the ones that were most likely to go and vote a certain way. So, for example, if you're a Hillary supporter, uh, actually a better example is if you're a Bernie supporter in 2016, they ran campaigns to basically say that Hillary had stolen it from Bernie, and you shouldn't bother voting; you should protest vote. They ran that from. Uh, from accounts that kind of looked pretty neutral and uh, and they basically had a goal to stop some people from voting. They knew they wouldn 't go vote for Trump, so they just stopped them from voting and Then they created a completely different campaign for people who loved guns and a different campaign for people who loved um, health who wanted health care and a completely different campaign for business owners and young people old people so basically they put everyone into these different categories and they created uh, highly targeted campaigns based on where you were and who you were at a level that had never been done before. Uh, So this is an approach which is hyper-targeted marketing. Um, And so what that signals to us is that the next 10 years, the 2020s, is all about data. Those who can harness data are going to succeed. So if you bump into a social media marketing specialist or the networking function, that's not special anymore. Um, But if you bump into a data scientist what will happen in the next 10 years is that the new social media marketer will be a data marketer. It'll be someone who is a, they'll call themselves a data scientist or or a data driven marketing specialist or something like that. Um, So that'll be the new form of marketing. That'll be the new vogue. um, And it'll also be the cutting edge. So it's where, it's where most the companies that really succeeded in the 2010s were the ones who were most active on social media and the companies that will really succeed in the 2020s are the ones that harness the most data and use it the most powerfully so I had to update the book with that
0: wow so I mean, it, that's a, it's a, an incredible insight and I hadn't even considered that looking at the you know presidential elections I mean obviously you know things take you know, leaps every ten years in terms of um you know, social media, but in terms of marketing act, 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 attributes, um, but just processing a lot of that. So, um, so how how do you think that's going to affect kind of you know the the, the markets? Obviously, looking at the data, but and um, the um, the noise around the Cambridge Analytica and their approach to it obviously affected Facebook quite directly, um, which led them to alter their strategy to the whole concept of like meaningful content and the way that they approached ads. And I think a lot of people were kind of reported that the ad spend suddenly just, just, just was completely ineffective almost overnight as a result of all of that. Um, mm. and um, what I do for sort of a lot of our clients is we talk around, you know, creating still the organic um, engagement, but then leveraging that with the paid stuff. And but you also, what you're saying essentially is that the the whole next ten years is going to be based around the data capture the data analysis all of that and then essentially we're repurposing profiling who your target client is and then producing content that hyper targeted specifically to them as opposed to broad brush campaigns
1: yeah, that's exactly what's going to happen um, and it's actually i mean it's it's stepped up a notch so the Trump campaign if I stay there and then I'll come down to the level of small business or business. Uh, the Trump campaign in January, uh, they did the, a military strike in Iran and they killed a general. Uh, and what most people don't know is the week after that, they ran 4,000 variations of different ads to see what people thought of that action all across America. So they segmented America into 4,000 different categories um, based on geography and age and religion and all sorts of stuff. And uh, and they basically started trying to figure out what people how people interpreted that activity. So when Trump goes on the debate stage, uh, when the campaign heats up, he will start using certain words and phrases that are proven to be the exact types of um, uh, ways that people want that event to be described. He'll also know that if he's talking to an older audience, they think about it one way and a younger audience thinks about it a different way. But more important than that, when the campaign kicks off uh, and Trump really steps it up, uh, what they'll do is they'll already have the data as to how people clicked and how people responded to what ads. And they'll basically echo back exactly what you thought. So if you clicked the news, if you responded that you thought the activity was uh, decisive, um, then you'll start getting ads that say, you know, Donald Trump for re-election because he's decisive. Mm. And, um, and you basically, but, but your next door neighbor might've said it was reckless and, um, and, and, you know, they'll get a completely different ad that says, um, you know, that focuses on a completely different activity and and just doesn't even mention that, that event. So, um, what you'll, what you'll find, uh, is, um, or maybe you'll get an ad about the opponent and how they did something. that's even more reckless. Um, so they can, they can target in on each individual person in every different home, uh, in a completely different way. So it's a, it's a very new style of marketing. Over the you know the last however many hundreds of years, we were pretty confident that what we were seeing was different was the was the same as what anyone could see. so you bought a newspaper and you kind of had a confidence that okay, fair enough, the sun would report things differently to The Times and that would report things differently to the Guardian, but you didn't feel you know well you didn't feel a that it was hidden that you could go and have a look at what the sun said if you wanted to. Uh, and B, you didn't kind of think it was kind of ever changing for each individual reader. Yeah. Uh, whereas we, it's, you know, it's kind of like now every single person, because they consume their news, their news in a digital format, every single person is actually experiencing a completely different reality to everyone else.
0: a a, a different reality, completely different experience. But then I suppose from a a commercialization point of view, and I think just going back to that, without being too political about it, I think what you've just described, you can exactly see the same parallels happening in the UK with the recent general election, Corbyn and Johnson.
1: Um, Oh, well, so Corbyn, Corbyn basically did the traditional approach of marketing, which is to come up with a message and then sell the message. Mm -hmm. So essentially him and his team, they came up, came up with their manifesto. And they said, this is what we think is a great idea. This is what we, you know, these are our beliefs and this is what we want to see happen. And then they kind of promoted that using advertising. Uh, the Boris Johnson campaign did it a very different way. So you may have seen a headline that said 88% of Boris Johnson's advertising is factually inaccurate. Okay. And here's why that happened. Uh, it's because they were running thousands of ads, thousands and thousands of ads, all with hypothetical messages and it's not that they were trying to mislead because a lot of the budgets were only 30 or 40 pound testing budgets but they were running hypothetical messages uh, to see what people respond to so rather than having a manifesto and trying to sell it they come up with hundreds of ideas so let's imagine that they have one ad that says um, we're going to have 10,000 more nurses and another one that says 10,000 more police officers and they're not actually. They haven't come up with a way of. They haven't come up with either. They're just seeing what people like better. So if everyone clicks the police officer one, then they say, Oh, well, we're going to we're going to go and put police officers out there. Um, and if everyone clicks the nurses, then they say, Oh, well, we're going to click nurses. We're we going to we're going to have nurses in our manifesto. So what the, what this new style is doing? The old approach to marketing was to come up with a message and broadcast it. The new approach to marketing is to come up with thousands of messages and see what people are interested in.
0: I really, which actually I think I really quite like because you're getting absolute evidence of your cut your your customers' needs. You know, in this instance, you know, your it's the your. Um,
1: Yeah, I would say, I'd say there are some, there are some ethical lines, um, that get crossed when you're talking about winning elections. And, um, if you're talking about selling products and services at a level of business and entrepreneurship, there's no real ethical lines around this. You know, you're essentially, you know, if you're, if you're selling bottles of water and you're testing to see whether people like the green or the blue and, you know, whether people, you know, were happy to pay a, a pound 80 or a pound 60 or, you know, if you're testing whether people like, you know a a gorgeous man or a gorgeous woman holding the bottle you know there's really not um there's really not any ethical lines that you're crossing when you're selling you know kind of just normal products day to day in the marketplace i think there are ethical lines that get crossed in election campaigns um you know people probably should feel that um that the the message is the same for, for each person and i i don't know where the ethical lines are i just know that we probably do need some more regulation in the same way that there was spending caps uh, introduced at one point, we probably need to have variation caps, um, so that you you know you can come up each campaign can come up with say a thousand different variations of of what they're going to test. Yeah, and, uh, and that's some it.
0: some transparency over the message. So you say if it is a hypothetical test, and at least that that's you know
1: being uh, yeah so, something along those uh, lines. You know, so but but for most people listening to this, you know the ethical stuff is is academic. Mm. It's more how do I apply this to the business? And, you know, look, some basic things that you want to do is you want to do more surveys. You want to survey people and find out what, do you, you know, you want to go to your existing list and say, what are you frustrated by? What, what, what are the things that um, matter the most to you? And, you know, what are the, what are the t- types of products that you're buying at the moment? Why are you buying them and how much are you spending and um, what do you like and what don't you like and all those kind of things. Uh, and you want to do some more surveys and then the really tricky part or the really clever part is to respond to each individual person based on how they surveyed. So some, some of your people are going to say, Oh, you know, I'm really looking at blue products and I am really fascinated by blue at the moment. And you want to say, well, here's our blue products. Another one say, Oh, well, I'm really interested in green, you know, and say, well, okay, here's all our green stuff that we've got going on. So, um, you know, so you want to, you want to kind of, uh, you want to collect more data, more information about each person as an individual. But the trick to the marketing in the 2020s is to treat people as individuals mm-hmm. and to not do a one size fits all approach. Um, and it's this kind of hyper targeted, hyper customization of message um, that you're going for. And it's difficult to execute, but you've got to remember that back in the 20, 2008 to 2010, social media felt completely foreign. You know, the idea that you're going to send a tweet or that you're going to respond to some random person on social media who comments on your post. You know, most people in 2010 were saying, well, you know, who's going to read a blog and why would I put a video on YouTube? Uh, you know, so, so we've been, we've been here before scratching our head going, well, I don't know how to apply it. And then eventually you get the hang of it and go, Oh, now I get it. Like this really works. Mm -hmm.
0: It does feel like the sort of the third generation of social media, when you have like social media 1.0, which was like MySpace and, you know, Friends Reunited and that kind of thing, was then, you know, obviously morphed into Facebook, Instagram, etc, etc, and now coming into this sort of third area where you have bots, AI, um, you know, the, the, the big uh, tech giants driving an awful lot more of Choice you know what's Facebook, Amazon, Apple, Netflix, Google? what are they going to look like in in five years' time? Um, because I think it's, yeah. it's, that's how they're generating revenue and that's how they're doing things. then you know a, any business should should copy and adapt and, and go along accordingly:
1: yeah, and so like for example, uh, a, a big winner, a really big winner going forward is going to be Amazon. Um, because Amazon's got a, an enormous amount of data, right? So this is a data conversation. Uh, Amazon knows the very first book that you bought and the most recent book that you bought and knows, you know, every product that you bought along the way. And it knows that you bought podcasting microphones and a book about how to have a great podcast and, and all of these sorts of things. And it knows when you bought them. And it's only a matter of time that Amazon starts writing an algorithm that says, actually, these are the for people like you. These are the types of products that you probably want, and and Amazon just says that we've put together a box of products for you. Yeah. We're going to ship them out to you. Have a look, have a play. Anything you like, keep, and then we'll charge charge you for it. And anything you don't like, send it back to us, and we won't charge you anything. And um, and Amazon's going to start selling stuff to you that you didn't even know you wanted, based upon the data that it has, yeah. uh, and it's going to kill businesses like. Um, like Tesco that has no idea, right? So Tesco, I've, I've probably shopped at Tesco hundreds of times. And if I rang up Tesco and said, tell me everything I've ever bought, they'd say, well, we don't know what you've bought. We have no idea what you've bought. And, uh, you, you know, they, they, they don't own the relationship. They own the products on the shelves, but they don't own the relationship and they don't have any data. Um, or they have very limited data comparatively. So, um, you know, these are, these are the things that are going to happen. Um, and, uh, and you'll see some winners and losers in this space. I, I think Netflix is probably going to be a loser, um, cause they've got a limited data set of what you watch, but they don't have, they don't have any other data about what you buy. Mm. So, um, you know, Amazon has what you buy and what you watch, uh, all under one roof.
0: Yeah. I mean, looking at this sort of, um, one of the companies that should be, well, is approaching and not being t-
1: not being spoken about an awful lot is Disney. Disney's on the way up. I mean oh, Disney man. Disney, you know, Disney. D- Disney oh. this is pro- one yeah this is product ecosystem. Yeah. And Disney have Disney's been a um if you are if you bought Disney shares, you know, not that long ago, you've probably seen a 500% growth in your Disney shares uh in the last 10 years. And it comes down to product ecosystem. Disney has got uh films and merchandise and uh holidays and resorts. Um you know, and now that it 's getting into streaming and on demand uh, uh you know at a very competitive price fifty nine pounds a year so it 's you know you 're talking about what five pounds a month four ninety five a month yeah. to get a disney subscription and it 's going to have it 's going to have all your favorites like Star Wars and Avengers and yeah. cartoons and all of that packaged up for for four or five pounds a month and mm-hmm it knows that that actually is going to feed into the resorts and it's going to feed into the holidays and it's going to get you out to the cinema and they're going to be able to sell you some other, you know, interesting products and all these kind of things because they have the ecosystem going. Whereas Netflix, whereas it it had an early start and had an early advantage in the, uh, in the streaming space, Netflix uh, will find itself in trouble because they only have one trick pony, which is that you can subscribe to their video streaming service there's nothing else that you can do. Yeah. There's, no, there's not much else. There's not. You know. There's not much else to the ecosystem. No,
0: that uh, makes I mean, my kids are. Oh, not, I am too. Old, to be honest as well, they are over the over the moon. They cannot wait for Disney And when I look at Disney, Disney now effectively own me. So being a you know guy who grew up with Star Wars and Marvel and you know comic books, you know every yeah. day every day I think I give Disney some money.
1: <laughs> Probably. Yeah, and yeah. this is, this is the thing for a small business. It sounds like, you know, it sounds like we talk about these huge companies and they seem so foreign and remote. And, well, they can do that because they're a massive company. Truth is, is that they're, they also have a huge weight, uh, to lift in order to achieve anything. They've got to go through a real process of transformation. And small companies can apply this stuff so fast. You know, you can, you can, I've seen companies within three to six months really Build out an ecosystem, uh, partner in different products and services, uh, come up with their own proprietary packages and their own information products, and uh, all of that sort of stuff. And actually, a lot of small businesses can do the same sort of things, so obviously not millions of customers, more like thousands of customers. Mm-hmm. But you know, small businesses can also have subscriptions, and they can also have um, you know additional products that they weren't selling last year. And it's those kind of decisions that actually. make you more of the Disney than the Netflix.
0: Yeah. And it's, that's a really, that's a good, um, a good sort of movement actually back into looking at sort of, you know, the smaller businesses, because from where we work in, you know, in a, in a cash pay environment in healthcare and aesthetics, um, a lot of our customers suffer quite heavily from price competition. And, you know, from the stuff that we've worked on with you and you know, created ourselves, is we know that this the model the, the ecosystem is the is a great defense against price competition. And what sort of advice would you have for people who are in that situation where someone's just kind of opened up down the road and immediately undercuts them for on price?
1: Yeah, so the, you don't you never want to be caught in a race to the bottom and. Um, so there's a number of, and when you get into a, a an a versus b an apples with apples comparison if all things are equal then price wins so you've got to make sure that not all things are equal um, so there are a number of differentiators uh, one of the best ones is packages uh, rather than having single products moving moving around to packages so for example if you ask yourself the question what is it that the customer is trying to get done what do they want to have what what do they want to be different in the world they don't like no one wants botox um botox is a means to an end uh, no one wants you know wi- uh, whitening they, that's a means to an end no one wants uh, you know kind of their haircut it's a means to an end what are people trying to do they want more confidence they want to feel more beautiful uh, they want to more be more youthful they want to sparkle they want to uh, impress so if you can say, all right, well, this is what we're going to do. We're going to put together all the things that you would need or want in order to achieve that goal. Some of them are going to be, uh, you know, cosmetic products and some of them are going to be books and some of them are going to be audio podcasts to listen to and some of them are going to be life coaches and, you know, we're going to, like, if I was building that kind of business, I'd be packaging uh, life coaching workshops into the product and I'd be packaging certain amazing books into the product and I'd be, um, doing photo shoots and image consulting. And, you know, we'd be really taking someone on a journey where they go from feeling, um, you know, not feeling confident in the way that I present to the world to actually I feel really good. My, you know, my, my hair, my teeth, um, my radiance, my levels of confidence what i'm saying uh you know the way that i speak you know all of that can can be improved and i would be turning it into a more holistic overall um personal improvement program um you know that you know because it's very hard to compete with that yeah Um, and and probably the sorry
0: no no sorry i spoke over you. Please, karen
1: Oh, the big, the big shift is that, that I make with entrepreneurs or or business owners is you've got to stop seeing yourself as someone who's got a technical skill and you're trying to sell the technical skill. You've got to move your own personal identity towards being an entrepreneur who's trying to fulfill wants and needs for the customer. And okay, you've got this technical skill that you've got, but actually beyond that technical skill, there's all sorts of stuff that you can bring to the table. A cool saying to think about is, "What can I bring to the table versus what can I do?" Mm-hmm. So, um, for example, a an amazing chef can cook incredible meals. That's what they can do. But they can bring to the table wine. They can bring to the table desserts. They can bring to the table entertainment. They can bring to the table uh, great service. So even though the cook is in the kitchen delivering the you know making the food, there's all sorts of things they can, as an entrepreneur, they can bring to the table. So when you're sitting there looking at your business, you're not saying, oh, you know, but I'm not a life coach. It's like well, you don't have to be a life coach. You need to find someone in the in the local area who is, yeah. and bring them to the table.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, it's, I think as I was was going to say is going the end to end is is a lot of what when we're working with businesses is exactly that it's looking at right well okay yes you have this skill as a dentist doctor nurse you know beauty, beauty therapist whatever um but it's very narrow so when someone does set up you're going to get hammered if it's like you say an eight an eight away an apple trap Apples conversation but mm. understanding that yeah you are an entrepreneur you've got three resources time energy and money and you've got to work out how you can balance the three together look at what sets you apart um, as you say, what you can bring to the table. And it is incredible how quickly you can get a turnaround on a business like that because they've got generally minimal overheads, the risk isn't particularly high, and it's literally handshake partnerships that all of a sudden yeah. can scale out quite quickly.
1: Yeah, absolutely. and uh, And some of the stuff's really also not even involving other people. Like I've seen businesses that have created a package out of things that you can buy on Amazon that they just include in, in every sale. So um, you know, I've seen businesses that include books in their package and, and include gadgets in their package and they include apps that they download onto your phone and, and they enter in a code because they've already pre-purchased the subscription that they want you to use. And, uh, you know, all of those kind of things. And then suddenly you're in the business of changing someone's life as opposed to just delivering a thing. Mm.
0: And you're sticky
1: yeah people can't compare. They say, Oh well, i okay, sure enough, I could go down the road and get this thing from someone else, but you know that person's just trying to you know deliver the thing. They're not really taking care of me. They're not thinking about me as a person. They're just selling their their wares mm-hmm. uh, and you want to be the company that's kind of kind of you know um taking care of people as as people now the other thing that differentiates is personal brand. personal brand is a huge differentiator, all things being equal. Uh, we will go with the company that we feel we know, like and trust that, that, you know, has a, has a really great personal relationship. At a very basic level, my wife, uh, has had the ha- same hairdresser, um, for 15 years and now he is on the other side of London, but she will travel to the other side of London to, to go and get her hair done by this particular guy. And because they have a relationship, you know, they, they've been through things together. They've, you know, got an ongoing conversation together. So he's got a personal relationship with her that means that she'll happily travel 45 minutes to an hour to get to her, her hair appointment as opposed to just going to the one that's five minutes down the road. So this is the power of personal brand and personal relationship now 10 years ago 15 years ago began a revolution uh, of technology that scales personal brands and personal relationships called social media and you know the clue is in the in the name that it is basically it's a technology that design that is designed to scale social behavior and uh, and social interactions and so you know anything that happens socially or you know interactions uh is now scaled on platforms so when you have YouTube videos that talk to people as though they're people and someone's watching that, then they're actually building a personal brand with you. Now, you might have 1,000 or 10,000 or 100,000 people watching that same video, but each individual watching it is getting a personalized feeling. They're actually feeling that they're building a relationship with with someone, which is why there are now YouTubers who have a million subscribers. And if they turn up in in a location, they can fill you know a 2000 seat venue uh because they're in town and uh and it's hilarious because you know people people who don't know who this person is because they're just a youtuber they go what we know what's everyone queuing up for and it's like oh you know it's it's Gary Vaynerchuk and it's like well who the hell is Gary Vaynerchuk oh well he's this amazing guy from the US who's who's on Instagram and YouTube and it's like to the, to the general public who, you know, who only watch television or radio they're just like never heard of this guy. Yeah. Um, you know, but, but you, you get the point.
0: Absolutely. I'm a, yeah, I like Gary V actually. He's a, uh, quite a character. You, 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 um, you spoke with him, didn't you? You were on, you presented, um.
1: Yeah. I've known Gary for a long time and I've, I've spoken with him. I've interviewed him and, uh, you know, his first few events in London, we, we, um, uh, I co-promoted them with him and, and did the interviews on stage and all that sort of stuff. So, yeah, I've spoken with Gary a couple of times actually. Yeah,
0: he seems like he's got yeah. Again, like you, he's got a great insight to things and um, a unique, a unique
1: perspective. Yeah, similar yeah, similar message. Um, I you know he's still talking a lot about content and social, and I think you know if he hasn't changed a lot now, he will change soon. Uh, because, you know, we're all going to notice the same things that data is, is actually where it's at. And it's not about broadcasting a million things. You know, you need to broadcast some stuff. You need to build a personal brand, but you need a personal brand plus data. You know, yeah. the game evolves. The game, the game moves. So, you know, if you're a musician, it used to be about having vinyl records and then it was about having CDs and then it was about having streaming and then you have to now have you know streaming and live events and merchandise and an online store and an online community and subscriptions and all those kind of things and you say oh but i just want to go and play music it's like well okay you can just go and play music but that's a hobby now
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah i know yeah. the content creation is a hobby the distribution of the content is the job
1: yeah. yeah yeah exactly so the game the game has moved on the people who are going to do really really well in the 2020s Like, I mean, super well, Ferraris and Lamborghinis well, are people who built their brand in the 2010s and leveraged their brand in the 2020s. Mm.
0: Well, that's what we're all trying to do at Aesthetic Entrepreneurs. And the funny thing is I can hear that the minds of people who know me, know Aesthetic Entrepreneurs, and have watched what we're doing, and they can see your imprint on the journey that we're going on. Um, It's not a coincidence. Because it's essentially, it is, it's a, you know, it's a, it's a great model and I always love listening to your insights because every time I listen to you, you come away with something very, very different. And um, I think just from a, a specific point of view, then if there was kind of like one thing, someone listening, thinking, okay, well I get all this around data and I get all this around what Dan's saying, if there was like one thing that they could walk away and do right now, what would you say it really should be? Um, Here's the,
1: here's, There's a lot of one things, but if there was kind of one thing that I really endorse, it's um, it's a belief that environment dictates performance. And what I mean by environment dictates performance is that if there was a silver bullet for success, it's about being in in an environment that's supportive to success. Uh, What do I mean by that? I mean it's it's like who you hang out with, who who's influencing you, Um, and it's it's uh, the kind of content that you're consuming and the, you know, who's holding you accountable. And in a a really real way, something as simple as making a decision to spend more time around successful entrepreneurs, uh, rather than people who are struggling would be a, a really good one thing. Because we're kind of, you know, our life ends up being the result of the conversations we have over and over again. And if you're out there having conversations with Great entrepreneurs who are building all sorts of businesses maybe outside of your own industry but they're talking about oh you know I tried this and it didn't work but then I tried this and it did work you know and it's being part of that conversation and by the time someone's packaged that up into a book and you know put a course together on it you know the conversation's already been raging for over a year mm-hmm. so you want to get around conversations you want to be around inspiring people and and spending time with interesting and engaging and successful people who you look up to and admire and you know cut out the people who are the naysayers and the negative the negative friends and the people who are you know constantly having the same conversation with you about how hard life is it's like you know at some point you've got to say enough is enough uh we live in great times we live you know there's no other time in history you'd want to be alive you wouldn't trade places with someone in the dark ages and you certainly wouldn't trade places with someone in the 1940s or you know, like you know, if you if I could push a button and teleport you to any other time in history, there's not a there's not a great number of times that you'd even spring to mind that you might go to. Maybe maybe the kind of uh, you know, Beatlemania '60s or something <laughs> like that. If you yeah, there might be a blip, but but most of the time it's like this is the time to be alive. There's never been more money, more talent, more opportunity, more markets available. So pull your socks up and get around people who see it for what it is and see the opportunity as opposed to people who are just constantly complaining.
0: Love it. I actually moved um, area last year, about it a year ago, actually a very similar sort of thing. Realized that the area that I was in, the environment I was in wasn't, I wasn't meeting enough people who were not so much self-employed, but were entrepreneurial. And I wasn't meeting enough people who were, uh looking at marketing in a certain way and I wasn't meeting enough people around it just didn't have the same kind of mindset so we yeah. we literally upsticks moved um from <clears throat> uh, from the coast closer up to london to surrey and um you can you can almost see an uptick in activity attitude revenue <clears throat> almost to the day
1: you know. yeah yeah, it, it yeah exactly and if 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 anyone's living listening and they live outside of London, you just got to make a commitment to get in and around London more often, because I, I hate to be a snob about it, right? I'm going to just be the quintessential London snob, but you know, London attracts some of the most ambitious and talented people in the world, um, and they don't really leave the M25, right? And <laughs> you want you want to you want to get around the you know every night of the week is an interesting event, and every night of the week is there's a meetup. And, um, you know, there's a, there's a thump and a, a, a buzz that happens around big cities um, that just doesn't happen 20 miles out from the big city. And, um, and just, you know, everyone should make more of that commitment. You're going to come to London and learn, learn what's, you know, what's the big trends and then you can apply that. And actually it almost it's like gives you superpowers if you go back to a smaller town taking something from London back to the smaller town or taking a big idea or a different attitude back to a smaller town kind of allows you to stand out. Uh, it's kind of like when Superman came to, came to uh, earth and had superpowers and on kryptonite, every you know, everyone had superpowers, but on earth he had, he had superpowers, right? So, um, you know, it's that kind of big city superpower that you can pick up and then take back to, back to the smaller town.
0: Absolutely. I and mean, there's definitely an energy in a, a, that surrounds, um, as you say, around the big cities. And I think also London, it's, it kind of feels like a series of villages. And I've got clients who, you know, they're in Twickenham and they can't get clients from people from Richmond to come over, which is, you know, not that far. Because if you've got everything you would need in Richmond, why would you travel to Twickenham, right? And you have a series of different villages. So,
1: yeah, so. Yeah, a series of villages, but it's also that proximity to get right into the heart of it. Jump on the, jump on that little quick train and, you know, there's, there's a course, you know, there's a little course happening about video or there's a course happening about data or there's something happening. You yeah, know, that's what you want to be part of. You want to be part of an, uh, that exciting conversation. And I'm not just saying London. It could be you get in and around Sydney or you get in and around, uh, New York or, or San Fran or something like that, but just getting around, getting around those people those ambitious people who are positive and um, not the ones who say, Oh, you know, I'm really frustrated that not everything's coming and landing on my lap. Um, But the people who say, you know, I'll go, you know, I don't need opportunity to come to me. I'll go to it.
0: I'll find a way. Yeah. Richard's just like notes to yourself, uh, more workshops in London.
1: (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Yeah. More more buzz. Suck suck up that energy
0: more of my workshops in London I think um, awesome listen mate I really appreciate um, you, you coming on um, incredible insight as always um, It's always a pleasure talking with you we've got just to finish off the, the last we've got the 10 most important questions in the world it's just a bit of fun it's something I ask all of the guests quick fire are you ready
1: these these sound like they're speed dating questions yeah
0: sounds like where these questions should be asked to vet any potential. I I outcome.
1: don't I don't know if I'm see I don't know if I'm ready or not because I don't know what these questions are. So,
0: well, so, all right. A, a man gonna... of your talent should will be able to uh, smash this. I Don't worry. All about let right. It. Let's let's okay. see how we go. That Jason managed to answer them. Okay, so that should give you some idea.
1: Oh, well, that should give me comfort. Yeah.
0: Okay. Right. Beatles or Elvis. Beatles. Superman or Batman.
1: Batman. Are you a night owl or an early bird? Night owl. Unfortunately, I wish I was an early bird. No, I'm a night owl as well. And I cut. Yeah, I know what you mean.
0: Wish you were an early bird, but it's never going to happen. So I just go with it now. Apple or Android? Oh, Apple. Yeah, easy. I, yeah, and nah, can't do Android. It's too complicated. I'm not geek. PlayStation or Xbox?
1: Neither. Or like uh, Nintendo, or are you going to like Atari? No, no, honestly, I got I got three kids. I got three kids, five and under. I have I have zero time available for for games that sort of stuff. oh so yeah. was there
0: was there no point in your history when you're into kind of gaming or not? Like yeah,
1: when I yeah when I was at like under fifteen, I was Sega Master System. But um, I'm I'm kind of I'm kind of looking forward to my boys getting. You know, my oldest are boys, so when they get to, uh, when they get to kind of 10 and I can kind of vicariously pick up a controller and have a, have a little go, that might be fun. But at the moment, I literally, I'm just holding it all together. I haven't, haven't got a, haven't got any well, me, gaming the, time.
0: The, the big change I've noticed is, um, that, so I, I've asked for a Nintendo 64 for my birthday. Why? Because the gaming consoles now are just way too complicated. So you pick it up and it's like, oh, I know.
1: Yeah. yeah. It's like, so you gotta, you gotta got do a half an hour tutorial to figure out just how, no. to, how to do anything. No. I, I loved what was wrong with those kind of like, you know, two, two or three buttons. Yeah. You know, the whole idea was to zone out and have a, have a little bit of fun, not to enter, enter a complex <laughs> new, you know,
0: I'm with you. I'm with you. So, uh, yeah, no, I'm definitely with you there, but, um, it will come back to you. Don't worry. It will come back. Okay. Favorite movie.
1: Favorite movie? I like Fight Club. It's a good movie. That's front to mind. Star Wars is a great movie. Um, oh god, there's so there's so many good ones for different reasons. I also like some cheesy cheesy rom com chick flicks that I shouldn't like.
0: Yeah, but, Everyone, um, everyone's got guilty pleasure.
1: Yeah, some some of those really kind of low budget silly movies from the eighties, um, with you know like with Kelly LeBrock in them and those those sorts oh, of ones. No. They're always no. kind of Guilty, weird, guilty weird pleasure. Yeah, we we had Lady in Red. That that uh, came up in conversation the other day.
0: Lady in Red, that's a blast of the past. I have to check that out again. Yeah, I know. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Everyone's got a guilty pleasure. Mine, as my family always take the mickey out of me, is actually Titanic. I quite like that movie.
1: Um, oh, Titanic's actually, it, it is a good film. James Cameron. I mean, there's a reason that he's like done blockbusters. They're they're a bit cheesy, but they're good cheesy yeah uh yeah yeah Terminator how good is Terminator oh, so uh, only well Terminator one and two I'm not I'm not really into the other ones but nah, Terminator one and two just I
0: awesome. watch I watch Dark Fate uh, I'm not really feeling it my son loves it I'm not really feeling it Terminator one absolutely yeah. classic Terminator two even better as far as I'm concerned it's got guns and roses soundtrack. yeah so it can be yeah uh, but um ah oh, little heads up on a movie though Sonic uh, is not terrible. So if you're thinking okay, the all right, movie, Sonic yeah. not terrible. Bit of a
1: blast from the past. What do you think is going to happen with um, Top Gun 2?
0: I think it, well, looking at the trailers, I think it it's, looks fantastic visually. And I've read up a little bit about the kind of um, the, the production process. And it looks like they really went to town on it in terms of yeah. cinematography. Um, I think Tom Cruise is old enough and wise enough to carry a movie like that now. I don't think they have to go back to the eighties because the eighties, it was just yeah. an absolute classic, but it was of its time. And I don't think that they're yeah. you know, going to go back to that.
1: Um, I think this is going to be
0: the kind of,
1: I, see, this is the thing too, that, by the way, I love eighties films. Yeah. Back to the future. Awesome. Or, you know, awesome film back to the, I love the back to the future trilogies. Yeah. Um, karate kid. I know I shouldn't, but I love karate kid. You know, there's all a, there's all of those.
0: To, there's nothing to dislike. I mean, they're all based on the same story arc. It I was
1: guess. just. It was an era. It was an era before mobile phones, so you didn't have to incorporate any any. <laughs> any sitting around on the on a mobile. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's a it was a kind of I don't know. It's just a, it a great time, and it was also a great time where cinema had had uh, had good stories, fun stories. The Godfather.
0: Yeah, I mean those movies, I was watching, um, sort of 1986, 87, uh, it's a real sweet spot for me because I was in, I was getting to the age where I was being allowed to watch the more violent movies. So Total Recall, Robocop, um, oh. yeah, yeah, um, is an absolute go-to. And I sat with my, and Predator as well, actually, to be fair. And I sat with my son who's now, he's sort of 13. And we watched, um, Robocop the other day together. And he said it's absolutely brilliant. You know, it's just, just yeah, the effects are a bit dated, but for a story, it's fantastic.
1: Yeah. Um, you know what else is actually not a bad story, and and it gets a bad rap, but um, Rambo, Rambo yeah. is a good story. Yeah.
0: Well, First Blood, I, I like yeah. I like First Blood. It's you know, it's a, it's an anti-war movie. Yeah. You know, it's um, yeah.
1: It, it 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 kind of like everyone thought it was gratuitous, but it was actually a really good story. Die Hard, Die Hard, another another awesome eighties film.
0: <laughs> oh, I love it. We can have a, we, we talk about this more. We, so we
1: just, just reminisce. Yeah,
0: yeah, shoot back to when films were good.
1: Um, so okay, See, so, I'm not a fan of all these all these Avenger films and all this sort of stuff. Not a fan. Not not a not, fan. Too too much special effects. Not enough story.
0: Yeah, I mean they're all. I think it's because of they're off of their time, and I think you know read comic books since I was, you know, since I could read And I've always been more of um, a kind of uh, a DC fan. I like Batman Superman comics um, very much. I like the Marvel comics as well. And the whole, you know, this its basically Disney have turned uh, Marvel into an absolute money making machine. I mean, almost every single movie they put out. Yeah. See, that's, that's the, the thing.
1: It feels like, it feels like the movies that the movies that are coming out at the moment in a big way, it feels like they are, Private equity approved, mm. right? So some big money man has signed off on it. This will make money. The data says this will make money, etc. With the exception, by the way, of recently nineteen seventeen. What a film that was! Man, I haven't seen oh that, that yet. Actually, I've, I've, go go to the cinema. Before, go find when it, go find a cinema that's still playing it. It's awesome. All right, I'll, I'll
0: see if I can get that in tonight. <laughs> I like doing that spare of the moment. Amy, let go to the cinema. Go watch nineteen seventeen. But yeah, I, I think. The the latest Done. Avengers Avengers Endgame, so um, they wanted to knock Avatar off its perch. And I don't know if you knew this. So they basically they they re- when it was started to run out of steam at the box office, they re-released it with uh, some added uh, footage and really pumped it to the Marvel yeah. community and basically said, look, you know, we want to knock it. And it was as blatant as this: we want to knock Avatar off its perch as the most as the highest grossing film of all time. It's got to be a Marvel movie. Go and see it. And here's an extra ten minutes of footage to make it worthwhile and it did it turned it put another Mm. burst into it and it's now the biggest grossing movie of all time but not because it was any not because it was good it's because they engaged the community to drive that extra you know a couple of hundred million interesting Interesting. but you know it worked so there we go right song what's the uh the song that you rock out to
1: Or anything Guns N' Roses, anything, uh, Metallica, uh, I've been geeking out on the latest Tool album. I like a few, I like a, I like a lot of Aussie bands that, that I grew up with, like, um, Powderfinger and Silverchair and, uh, and, uh, and those kind of ones too. And I like a lot of clubbing tracks, you know, a bit of, a bit of rave music. Why not? Why not? Yeah. I'm
0: surprised being an Aussie, I didn't get Akadaka dropped in there.
1: A little bit before my time, but yeah, of course, I, I appreciate Akatadaka. <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah. How can you? It's like, yeah, it's, uh, I, I love ACD. I love them. Uh, brilliant band. Um, and Guns N' Roses. I'm a bit of a rock fan as well. Okay? Guns N' and Roses. And Nirvana. Yeah, yeah. Um, Wolf Mother. They're Australian as well, aren't they? Yeah, they
1: are. Yeah. Yeah, yeah great
0: band. I love that. Okay. Um, so this is an easy answer for you because I know It bag.
1: sounds like, it sounds like we're a compatible match for dating. I think we should. I think with with these with these dating questions that you've gone with, (laughs) Uh, and also the other the the other one that I'm rocking out to is Muse. Muse are like I've been to a lot of their live music recently. Muse are great. Yeah, Muse are amazing band live.
0: They're a brilliant stadium band. I uh, I had ticket had tickets for the last tour, and I had to make one of those decisions that it was kind of do I go and watch Muse with the family or do I I've got this business opportunity. And I took the latter, I took the opportunity, and it paid off, to be honest. But, you know, it was one of those horrible existential moments where I'm just like, oh, man, either one of these I miss, it's going to hurt me. So I had to take the yeah. But You know, hopefully there'll be other times. But then I said that, and um, we paid way over the odds to go and see Prince in when he was doing his residency in the O2. I'm so pleased we did that. Really am pleased we did that. Yeah it's an amazing yep. experience and then obviously
1: can't you know, get that try, back
0: try, Yeah, exactly so
1: um
0: but yeah so cool. okay so i know yeah. the answer to this one but i have to ask it anyway sun or snow
1: oh well i grew up on the sunshine coast and um a sunny day on the snow i'm gonna say a sunny day on the snow <laughs> one of those <laughs> one of those lovely days one of those lovely days where you don't have to wear too much gear and uh and, and you can unzip your jacket And, and go for a nice snowboard uh, I'll take that any day of the week Oh that sounds good
0: Yeah I do your, your snowboarding pass But um, I'm more of a sun guy I've tried winter sports And just it, they just not me really I'm more of an. Hey
1: I'm not you know, I'm, I'm, I'm. It's not really a competition I'll, I'll take both to be honest
0: Yeah you know? fair enough I'll let you have that so, a, sunny, a sunny day on the snow like that. Yeah
1: ju- look jump, Jumping off a yacht into the water I'll take that too
0: <laughs> I'll take that definitely at the moment in uh, the sort of you know late February in the United Kingdom I'll definitely take that okay what is your uh, what's the go-to business book
1: uh, Principles by Ray Dalio is, is one of the ones I keep re- revisiting a lot at the moment um, you know when a when a when a very successful billionaire who's been doing it decade after decade after decade sits and takes the time to write it all down line by line piece by piece in an actual manual i think it'd be a bit rude not to not to read it i agree again I and again
0: i'll read that i've not uh, not read that one yet my one i've been revisiting actually is um the well the seven um seven habits by stephen covey and then there's this the other book the eighth habit which is basically a rehash of the seven with an extra one added um but i like
1: that <laughs> like your marvel comics
0: they needed to push it now he's uh, he's passed on yeah. he pushed it on a little bit and the final uh, final question is what's the best bit of uh, advice that you've ever received
1: uh best bit of advice that i ever received was actually income followers assets was a really good piece of advice that turned things around um and it was about creating the creation of digital assets um, so it's, it was all about making sure that, um, uh, making sure that, uh, you're putting, you know, you're leveraging digital. And when I understood income follows assets and how to do that, then that was actually a big turning point in, in very tangible ways. I mean, there's, there's lovely, there's lovely advice around you know, personal development and family and all that sort of stuff, but something that had very practical implications was income followers, assets.
0: That's brilliant. No, that's absolutely, absolutely spot on. And Dan, thank you very, very much for joining us today. Um, so oversubscribed, the updated version is is out now. Um, you can get it on Amazon, I'm assuming. Uh, all good books from retailers around the world. Um, I you personally, uh, you should, If you're listening to this and you have not read any of Dan's books, I think you should go and order Entrepreneurs' Revolution Key person of influence, oversubscribed and twenty four assets. Now as a bulk, get them here and read them because they will if they have the same impact on you as they have on me, your business will not be the same in six months, I guarantee it to so go and do it.
1: Amazing. Thanks for that endorsement. That's awesome.
0: It's absolutely true. I don't you know, I don't um wax lyrically about people unless I rate them highly, mate. And um, yeah. You're, you're definitely one of those people so thank you
1: brilliant I think you're biased because of my taste in music
0: <laughs> like I say we're definitely compatible we should just catch up for a beer sometime
1: sounds good sounds really good we'll talk about 80s movies
0: absolutely sounds good we we'll are going and watch Top Gun we'll, we can just dissect it afterwards nice <laughs> there's a plan there's a plan alright mate I will let you go enjoy the rest of your day thank you very much bud. take care cheers mate Subscribe now for tips, insight, and stories to enhance, empower, educate, and elevate your business to new heights.